Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legends of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori. And today we have a podcast that is focused on, well, first of all, 5th edition after our very long segue into the intricacies of <laughs> adventures in Rokugan. Let's get back to Roland yeah. E. Um, but this one is kind of focused around kind of character you might want to play. So as you approach the schools and you approach the technique lists in particular, especially if you're playing mm. a bushi or a courtier, there's just a large number of techniques. And it's like, I want everything. It all sounds good. So we're going to ask a bunch of questions today that will help us when you think about those. So that's that's the yeah. goal for today. But before we get into that, we've got some news. We have the Heart of Yuchiban by Evan Dicken. That was released November 1st. Uh, we've spoken about it before, but it's now out and about. We have a uh, review of Rid of the Wild that we'll be doing soon. But if you want the Last Province podcast review of that, that is out in the wild for you to pick up. Shout out to them. And there have been a few actual play podcasts with Adventures in Rokugan. Splinters of Jade and the Last Province folks have done one. And the Fortune and Strife crew will be doing one um, that, well, it'll be coming out soon. Has it been recorded? Uh, Thanksgiving week, so a couple weeks from now. So so it's going to be a little bit, but I was excited, so I thought we could mention it. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so there's that to look forward to. So if you want to hear some actual Adventures in Rock again, and see how it plays, then uh, there will be some options. Yeah. Um, however, for the moment, um, let's talk about questions. Hmm. Uh, this came out of a, a question somebody had to me saying, I want to play an artisan, but I can't decide what to do. And I was thinking, what kind of questions would you ask yourself if you wanted to figure out what in all of these schools and techniques you might want to do? So... Yes, there's so many options that it can be a little bit paralyzing, especially when you can kind of sort of be any sort of character from any sort of clan in a way, but that does still really inform you know, what, what exactly your character wants to be. There are so many different combinations. So having a think about some of these things ahead of time before just diving in can be really helpful and give you a character that you will want to play and want to advance over a long period. Yes. Now, it is important with uh, especially 5e to recognize that unlike 4e and previous versions, you can start out in one one class playing one way, and if you don't like it, you can choose to shift entirely. So... If I start out thinking I'm going to be a total courtier and find I am in combat all the time, I am not crippled by that for most kinds of courtiers. Um, you, I just end up picking up a bunch of awesome shuji and or awesome kata, I should say, and then you know get my rings and skills to where they should be to be doing combat all the time. And I am very good in combat. My school technique maybe is not optimal 
for combat, but that makes a very, very small difference compared to rings, skills, and uh, and techniques. Yeah, it's especially true because fifth ed, you a quarter isn't locked into specific stats that they were in 4e and and before because you can if if you decide that you're going to be all air because your courtier is outwitting everybody and then you go oh no i need to fight well now your your fighting courtier is using air to be evasive and that just flows straight into combat and i love that and even even more so since you can get all of these techniques and um skills outside of your curriculum it's half half price but as we said school technique doesn't mean that much i mean it's nice but uh buying out of school might slow your advancement but the school options are pretty broad and even buying at half price you're still advancing and maybe now your character is much more customized for the kind of game and the way you want to play so it's totally worth it and you are very unlikely to be in a position where you start off as a courtier and you want to go all warrior all the time. You'll almost certainly find being your your school talent will still come in in those occasions where it becomes a social situation because that happens in Elphavar. So having that flexibility is really good. So that does mean that that you aren't locked in and that's one of the strengths of the system, I think. And so these questions then that we're going to be kind of talking about don't necessarily only apply for creating a new character. If you are unhappy with your character or you feel like something's missing, especially at low levels, and you want to change the way you play, you can ask these questions of yourself and then go back looking at the techniques and figure out, okay, what do I do in order to change myself to play more this way than the way I'm currently doing. So that's that's the goal of this list, and hopefully it'll be useful. The first question is a, a, a broad one, but it really has probably the most effect of anything that I can I can think of at the, at the table, and that's how do I prefer to interact at the role playing game table? How do I how do I want to do that? Do I like to be the center of attention from from the PCs, from the NPCs, I want make everybody. Sh- I want to make sure that everyone is looking at me, and what my character is doing, and um, drawing a lot of tension, and also making very big strides. Uh, you know, in in dealing out damage or stuff. Big impression, hot and fast and loud. Yeah, loud is the biggest. I think. If that is your play style, if that's what you want to be, even if you started out thinking you want to be some other character, you are going to want to play a fire-focused character. Okay? Fire is a little bit of a a over... maybe stronger than the other rings in 5th edition because bonus successes are very good and the penalties for strife are not not so good. Hmm. We've talked before about fire is that it supplies the dazed chain of status effects. And dazed is very good um, because it adds that TN to other people to attack you and that sort of thing. But 
play style wise, you're going to be up there doing that dazzling performance, getting everybody's attention on you, handing out strife. That's a fire interaction. And you want then classes that that maximize that. Um, yeah, yeah. Courtiers, uh, duelists, especially that heart piercing strike is in fire. Um Mm. the uh, dazzling performance, the strife ops, these are all um, really kind of click together nicely if you focus around fire, but come with the consequence of you have to go in there, you have to make a decision to do it and start doing it, even though that might not be what the whole group consensus is, is going to be. And they might you might mess up their plans if you were doing this. That's just the nature of fire. So, um, yes, that's something to think about. <laughs> yeah. So the other, an, another possibility, are you the sort of person who wants to wait quietly, watching and listening until you come up with that perfect piece of information, that perfect time to make that move? That sounds very much like an air approach. Right. Where it's about being a little bit ahead of everyone else, being a little bit cleverer, and finding that one exact moment or that one exact angle Mm -hmm. to attack. So when you're doing combat with air, you've got that... the, The techniques for air are not that great, and they're very much stall and build up till you have your good moment. That's just kind of the nature of it. But air does have a lot of advantages for people who are really don't want to take the first action in combat, but they want to get the information so that they can do the right thing. So it's got all these wonderful opportunities to learn demeanors and current strife and um, goals. And it's just very, very information gathering. And, and it, makes you harder to hit while you're in air stance for example and that's not that's not trivial no it's not isn't while you're gathering the information and potentially you could be you know using air techniques to um store up opportunities or store up um you know roll dice ahead of time so that when your moment comes Mm. you can you can strike with it Okay, so that's yeah, kind yeah. of um, it's kind of the airway to play, uh, and some schools mm. really dig into it. the 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 schools with a little ninjutsu uh, doing the skulk thing it can get quite nice. Um, so it's a little bit little bit stealthier kind of a character, uh, like the Shishoro, like. The ultimate fire character non-combat is the doji bureaucrat because it can increase the strife that you're dishing out by even more, even more strife. But uh, like the Shishuro um, Shinobi classes, Shoshi classes, those are those are all all really good in air. And of course, uh, it's an analytical uh, mastermind kind of a, a a way to play. So. Um, a person who works, working out all the details, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So that's a good kind of class for that. If you want to be uh, 
all about setting things up ahead of time. All right. Mm. Nurturing allies, nurturing relationships, finding, you know, setting up ahead of time the place where you're going to fight, having the gift that will set up ahead of time the relationship down the line, or working with an assistant a lot. You happen to be one of the classes that have an assistant or in general, working with the rest of your party, working with NPCs, that kind of thing. OK, um, those are water approaches because the two actions around mm-hmm. you can use your unrolled action for um, a, most of the time. You often use it for movement or lowering your fatigue and, and strife. But it's very powerful if you use your unrolled action for giving instructions to NPCs for example, and having yes. them, them act. They can they can do that on your unrolled action, and then you can work on your rolled action. Um, a lot of the terrain techniques, uh, especially slippery maneuvers, uh, where you can set up a obscuring terrain and really uh, protect your mm. party by modifying the environment but all of the all of the terrain ones those those live in air so you're kind of setting mm-hmm. up for the fight ahead of time if there's a fight that makes sense yeah 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 um the other thing that water yeah. does that is just brutal is bleed um so all the bleed lives in lives in water and if somebody is bleeding, they're taking fatigue with every strife that they keep. So it means it's harder. So if you set up your obscuring terrain, now you're harder to hit. And now they have to keep more strife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore they get more damage from fatigue. It's a more long drawn out fight, but it's a a pretty uh, brutal combination, right? On the other hand, you may decide that you want to be a physical or a social tank which basically means that you can let things roll off you while you methodically do your own thing mm-hmm. so you're you're able to possibly soak damage that other people couldn't take or simply just plow through things mm-hmm. that would you know impede anyone else but you just keep going and that, I mean, again, that's physical, it's social, it's, it's both things. You know, when if, if you can, you know, take the slings and arrows of, you know, people's, you know, mocking you and not let that affect you, that's very much an earth approach mm-hmm. in a social sense. Yep. So uh, the big Stonewall Tactics is a very uh, powerful technique because it can draw heat from your more volatile friends and force them to target you by making it much harder for them to target anybody else but you. Um, then you can you know, make yourself immune to the critical hits uh, and status effects that Earth, Earth does. Um, and basically you can just, it, it's, Earth is a fairly simple, is a somewhat simpler way to play. Still, it makes all, everybody else do the flashy thing and you don't have to do as much on the fly decision making as maybe some of the other uh other classes and you'll you you'll be loved for it if you're taking the heat off of other people absolutely i mean there's a simple uh, there's nothing wrong with playing a simpler play style you know if, if, if that's what suits you that's 
go for it, you know. And the other thing is, is that Earth's ability to reduce strife off of others is very strong in your party as a support character. That'll, that'll make you very popular if you use that a lot. Yes. So um, that's that can be that can be quite clutch, um, especially if you're kind of supporting a, a fire character, for example. Yes. <laughs> They're going, rawr, and you're going, calm, it's okay, it's fine, calm, shh. <laughs> <laughs> now, so do I want to keep myself kind of above it all, thinking on things on a different track than other people, especially if you're you're really into the whole spiritual uh, magic aspects of the game um, or having things beyond your regular senses or, and this is a big one, if your dice luck is pretty poor. (laughs) (laughs) If your dice luck sucks, which some of us do, and it just drives you nuts, then all of these things you want the void approach, right? Because of a few things that void does for you. One, having void gives you more void points. And therefore, you can re-roll some of those bad dice rolls that are... Yes. Well, you know, you can at least have more dice to roll, I should say. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, 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 yeah. To, to counter that bad dice-like approach. Also, it can lower target numbers for the other ranks on the opportunities, which is huge. All right? Um the techniques, both the techniques that work along with uh, Void and the Void opportunities itself let you uh, lower target numbers on rolls made with your other rings. Again, handling that high, I don't like the fact that my dice are bad problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, socially, almost every kind of demeanor that people have uh, no one it has an appro- uh, a bad response to void. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, 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 susp- I haven't gone through them all, but I, I don't think any of them are particularly good versus void, but none of them are bad versus void, or very few of them. So most of the popular uh, demeanors for adversaries um, yeah, water is the easiest to get along with most of them, but some of the very popular by I should say get along with um so if you have in the in the game if you have a NPC with a demeanor that is contrary to the approach you are trying to your target numbers can go up by two and if it's in alignment with the approach you uh are working with it can go down by two all right so this is a very, given target numbers importance, this is a huge range just based on demeanor, all right? Yeah. Water tends to be the easiest approach, as in the demeanor most aligned with. Fire tends to be the worst mm. approach, as in least uh, aligned with. However, there yeah. are very, very common play styles are uh, for NPCs, very common demeanors for NPCs that flip that. So it's harder to go with water mm. or air and, and um, easier with uh, fire. Um, so you can't know for sure whether you're going to be coming against a strong or weak demeanor. But void is kind of neutral for almost everything. I think everything seems yeah. human. Um, so... That means that it's a safe 
approach. Yeah. For every interaction. Yeah, it's unlikely to be the best, but it's very unlikely to be the worst. Right. Um, it's also yeah. being cryptic at people rarely pisses them off. <laughs> uh, you know, as opposed to like the fire approach could could even beyond demeanor could put you in doing things that piss off the NPCs. Um, and yeah, um, yeah. also, like I said, good void rolls gives you access to all these supernatural, beyond normal senses, means of information that are fun to work with because you get to be like cooler than everybody else because that way. Yeah. So those are some questions to think about it. This hasn't told you what classes to do. I mean, if you're taking Void Approach, no. uh, you know, a, a Tagashi or a, a mm. Ishinkan or, a, you know, even, you know, Shiva, Samas and the Monks. Those, yeah. those are good. Yeah. Uh, Earth, the, they each have things, but maybe it's just a way to think of like, okay, look at what schools give you bonuses in that. Mm. In that particular ring, how does that ring work with, and the things associated with the ring? Yeah, and those techniques work with my advancement track. Are they in there for this school I'm considering? Yeah, all that. That's all things yeah to look at. And I mean, you given that ring spend is always out of curriculum, mm -hmm. you could always you can very often adapt a given school to an earth approach if they don't normally have an mm -hmm. earth approach so there is that flexibility but yeah the having an idea of your your basic approach mm -hmm. is going to be very helpful for trying to decide what kind of character you want to play mm -hmm. so that was the kind of the first question we have and hopefully that was good um we've got mm. a lot um so the next couple questions you know have to do maybe where the combat and these are ones to think about as you consider who your GM is. This would be, you know, this has to do with how you think your GM works based on previous campaigns and, uh, you know, in general, what you want to be good at. So. Or, or, or ask them, yeah. Yeah, what, what, are these, what are these going to be like? So, yeah. So, for your character and for your role in your group in combat, my question is, do you think it would be better to handle a large number of small opponents, right? Focus on bringing down a single, very large opponent, right? Mm -hmm. Try and avoid combat as much as possible and make it as safe as possible because you're using other things to avoid combat. Mm -hmm. Or be willing to support your group and endure even though that comes at a cost to yourself because you've built yourself to be mm. strong. For yeah. a large number of opponents, that gets into the air approaches, okay? Because mm -hmm. um, that TN is just so fundamental. The TN to hit yes. you is so fundamental to dealing with small opponents, but it doesn't make much difference when you're dealing with a very large opponent. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they tend to be rolling way lots nice, much higher <laughs> than than all those individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, focusing on bringing down a very large opponent uh, quickly, and almost this is medium opponent want to say that <laughs> but but the larger opponents mm. uh, this is the fire approach this is that heart piercing strike look for the critical and and take mm. it and and, and uh, yeah and, and pour in as much fatigue damage as you can manage right. now 
Yeah. That's a large opponent, but it's not the very largest opponent because this one will drain you out. It will get you to mm, it yeah. will get you to compromise quickly and um is makes you a little bit vulnerable um to something where it has to be a sustained combat. It's still good. <laughs> right. For big opponents, it's just if it's if it's going to be sustained, then it might be a problem. Uh, avoiding combat is is water because you can do things like bringing do the other thing that ends the combat or um, yeah, or get away from it or prepare the yeah yeah lots of options with that running away. <laughs> Even poison. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or it, for the long sustained combats, that's where bleed is effective. So I do a bleed on you and I book it. And now he's bleeding out rather than chase, if he's chasing you and keeping strife as he's trying to still go at you, he's dying on his own without your help. And of course, enduring, uh, even a cost to yourself, that, that is Earth where you're tanking the group. We talked a little about that. So that's another kind of thing so what what would you say would be the void approach in combat then for the void approach you can do it um i think that combat works best alternating in void okay so um i wouldn't the void approach is great for when you can't keep strife right because it doesn't let you accumulate strife. That's that's the biggest thing about the void approach of combat, right? And it's good for changing the TN on other roles. So rather than doing a pure void approach in general, and none of these are really pure void approach, I would think a void as something you alternate with air or fire or water or earth to to lower TNs for a big action or do a little recovery or um, something like that. That sort of thing, yeah. It's it's like the center stance of previous editions where you don't spend your time in center stance the same way, the same way you might spend all your time in attack or full attack. It's center and then do something. Maybe, but it, you, you're, you can still be hitting pretty hard in void still. It's just... It works mm, best true. if you alternate it with another ring. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least that's my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so moving away a little bit from like what elemental approach is best for you and your character, given what you're expecting, how you expect to be playing the game and what, you in, what sort of things you're going to be trying to do, you also have to have a think about what sort of combats are you expecting? And this is a question really for your GM. Are they likely to be long combat? So anything more than three, four rounds is getting pretty long for this system. Or is it likely to be shorter than normal? So anything less than three rounds or so. Those Everything's going to be really, really short and sweet. That is going to determine what kind of techniques you want to use possibly where you want to put your rings because you want to look at what's what is your composure going to be what's your fatigue going to be the longer the combat the more you want to emphasize endurance and being able to last a long time and you may want to prioritize techniques that get you some composure back or get you some fatigue back or just take time to act oh yes lead lead doesn't do much for one round but for three yeah (laughs) no 
And if it's shorter than normal, I mean, for example, you might start looking at whether or not you want to play a character that uses Keyhoe. Because if you don't, if you aren't routinely getting the bonus successes to get the burst effect, your action activating your Keyhoe does not contribute directly to the combat. It's you do you, you, you power up your Keyhoe and then you act next round. So if the, if the combat's only a couple of rounds, then you'll, you'll end up not doing much for half of the combat. Whereas if it's a four or five round combat, then that one round at the beginning, activating a keyhole, mm-hmm. not as important. So that, that's a, a thing you won't yeah, want to consider. So that, um, and same with critical strikes. If it's going to be a short to medium combat, those mm. critical strikes can just lay out your opponents quickly, Right. If you get them and you, mm. you focus on that first strike of the combat, your iujutsu or the first round, there's no time to set up, right? You, <laughs> right? Yes, you, you got to get, get them, them in right, right away. away. Whereas in a, if your combats are going to be judged normally, if you focus on the critical strike approach, the GM expecting or wanting longer combats than that will just keep throwing in opponents or stuff so that that critical strike moment won't be as effective. So it's something to think about, I guess. Mm. Um, let's see. Uh, another thing to consider is who you expect most of your combats to be against. And some of this, you might not be able to um, mm. ask your GM this, but it might be something either if you're a GM listening, you want to think about or, you know, go from past experience of what you've been fighting all the way along. Are you fighting single, very skilled humans, um, large groups of humans, single, larger mm. non-humans, like spirits or oni or whatever, or uh, groups of, of non-humans? Okay. The reason why this is important is because of, among other things, resistance. Okay. If you are fighting things that have a lot of resistance, you need techniques that... and uh kept dice and stuff that can get past or do more fatigue than that resistance will take away otherwise you're just just hitting humans in general have pretty low resistance um most people are not running around with armor uh this this changes if your opponents are you eventually get to the clamshell humans but humans also have some really powerful techniques um that but even then, most human opponents, you know, you're expected to be one on one right? It's not very often like the whole party is going against just one human. That changes when you're fighting non-humans. <laughs> very much, yeah. And, and there is a big difference between fighting a single human, which can include one person per party yeah. member, as opposed to one individual skill. But you, you know, each, everyone's got one mm-hmm. person to fight. But when you've got, like, a horde of mooks, that's a different situation. And you want to make sure that your techniques are appropriate for, for what you're fighting there. Um, or, you know, it, it might make you happier if you, for example, were dealing out a lot of critical strikes that took down a mook always in one blow. You know, if you got a crit, the mook goes down. As opposed to crits might not be doing anything at all to your one opponent unless you, like, are... are Yes. Adding to the deadliness and, and manage to figure it out because um, it's a, a skilled opponent at your level. Um, for Oni, 
Now you get these monster resistance values and weird effects, and you really have to know um, what it is you're fighting. So information gathering and stalling is really important. And so, yeah, because you actually need to know exactly what it is you're dealing with and do they have any weaknesses? Do they have things they're particularly resistant against? I, we had a, a fight against a spider monster and it turned out it was, it was had ridiculous resistance. Uh, but we also dis- discovered that if we targeted its spider webs, it started to lose resistance. So that was, that was a th- so that's, that sort of thing crops up a lot where there's some odd thing about this, <clears throat> there's some odd thing about this creature that isn't obvious, and that will help yep, you defeat it. And you have it. to think about, think about that, and air and earth approaches, therefore, are really, really good for that kind of that yeah. thing, even though you don't think that that's a crab way of doing it. Well, earth is, but... There's also a thing when you're dealing with a single big opponent like that, where setting stuff up for other people becomes much more important. Yeah, assisting is, is very important. Yes, yes. Or, or, yeah, I know I can inflict this condition and then everyone can pile in. That's, yeah, that can, even if you personally aren't doing lots of damage, that can be a really useful approach. So that's something, if you think that's going to be something your character will be coming up against a lot and that fits your kind of play style then you can really start looking into okay what techniques do i want who's got those techniques and then build your character around that if your gm likes the goblin hordes or the rattling hordes or the you know group of non-human small things um the difference between them and groups of humans is that you know you can have many 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 of them and at that point you it, yeah, like you're, you're instead of it's one giant spider, now you're attacked by 50 small spiders. Now, what do you do? Um, and that's where you start looking at things like thunderclap strike and some of those. How do I how do I remove or disable large numbers of uh, targets on the board? 5e is not does not have very much uh, outside of invocations to do that. Um, but then maybe if, that, if that's something you have, then you go ahead and make sure you have those kind of invocations that will allow you to Absolutely. target a, an area. Um, you look at your terrain uh, things. I want to make deadly terrain. It's just going to chew through all of those little little things. So that's worth thinking about as you go into looking at that technique list. No matter you know if you're playing a Shigenji or Bushi or anything, um, is that something you ever think you're going to encounter? Humans on those will, will run away, <laughs> hopefully. Yes. Uh, and you also have to consider the possibility that you could be coming up against any of these scenarios, because that could be the kind of game you're playing, where sometimes it's one-on-one, sometimes it's a group of mooks, sometimes it's a great big spirit boar, sometimes it's the rattling horde, and... It could change from moment to moment or combat to combat. So then you start need to think about dealing right. with each of those. And you might not personally be the one to deal with each of those things, right? So you are in a party. So if it is a mix, then one person maybe be, focuses on this kind of enemy and one person is able to take the lead fighting this kind of enemy if it is a mix. And so otherwise, if you yourself try to be able to fight every kind of enemy, 
be the the best at fighting every kind of enemy, you're going to diminish your ability to take on individual ones because you haven't focused. Yeah, I mean, certainly to be, certainly to begin with. But I mean, until you started getting into the really high insight ranks, then then maybe you can start being good at everything. But you're going to want to specialize to begin right. with. At so, least to some yeah, extent. it's something to talk about with your party members if you're like, and, and maybe it's like. All right. Do we have anyone who can do crowd control and and multiple target yes. you know, elimination? Um, and also, Absolutely. if and this is true in general for five e, if your targets are human, which is very common, all of those shuji often and mm. often you know, maybe you don't have to fight them. Maybe they can be reasoned with, or you can do other things to them with your shuji and and have your courtiers yeah. come into play there whereas versus non-humans maybe your courtiers are you know focused on battlefield tactics and and so on and really good at setting yeah. up that that Supporting. situation where you yeah. can help each other and make a good environment that takes out people so just different things to think about it's not just Armed combat, or not only Bushi, not only Shigenjits, for every everybody. So that's thinking about what kind of combats you might be up against, and like you might be able to know this from your GM for what what's gone before, or you could ask them. But now I want to think about how do you want to approach combats, or or even intrigues. You know, how do you feel your character should be be doing these things? So, are you the sort of person? who wants to be as prepared as much as you can and using what you know to gain advantages in conflicts. So your courtiers, your courtier bushi types, they are very much like that. So they like to know the demeanors of their opponents. They like to know disadvantages. Um, they like to know like the area yeah, the the battleground, whether that's literal a fight or it's a metaphorical kind of court, kind battlefield. Yeah, the scorpions specifically are very good with knowing disadvantages of the people they're fighting and using that. It's all about what you can use there or what you've learned ahead of time. All preparation. Absolutely. And dragon, especially the Kitsuki, are very good at gathering information and just just hoovering up as much information as possible. Less, they have less technique support for mechanical support for utilizing it, but you as a player should be able to then take that stuff and use it. So, if that's your style, then courtiers, courtier slash bushi, scorpion, and dragon might be something you want to look into. If your goal is to try and end the combat as quickly as possible, no matter the cost, combat, intrigue, whatever, and you don't mind blowing it up as fiercely as you like as well, um, then that's another style. You know, if that's how you think you should succeed is just get it over with as quickly as possible. That's where you want your Matsu and your Kikita, um, you know, your approach to just get as high a score of X as possible there. So Matsu and Kikita is almost too um, specific. It's it's big on the uh, crane in general is, is like get it over as quick as possible. That's just how the crane, yeah. all the crane schools tend to work. Um, though each in their... That final devastating blow, yeah. 
uh, you know, courtier schools tend to be, you know, in the Asahina, you know, all those op, you know, Crane is all about, you know, getting all the extra opportunities. They all work towards finishing up things very quickly. Yeah. And the final kind of approach we've been highlighting here is holding resources back. Do you think, is, is this the kind of way you should be approaching these things? Hold resources in reserve because the GM is going to throw something at you and you want to be ready for the thing that's unexpected, you know, or yeah, if things don't go quite your way, the roles aren't going your way, you've got extra, you haven't thrown everything in and you've got nothing left. The, the crab with their kind of focus on endurance, they fit that very well. Uh, the Phoenix take that approach as well, the kind of wait and see. Well, they have so much that reduces strife, you know, that, that brings down strife and stuff. So that means yeah. that when other classes or other schools, I should say, kind of like are at the end of the fight and they're de- reserves are depleted and they've spent everything and they're all compromised and they're all wounded and stuff. The Phoenix, because of their strife reduction related techniques, is hold, you know, has stuff held back um, compared to the other uh, clans. And like, like you said, Crab just has such big ace numbers that they'll they'll still have some fight left in them even after the rest of the party is, is spent. Yes. Yeah, I've got a heated defender. He is tough to take down. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the fight that you saw, where other clans just threw everything into it and won it, maybe, you, you're, you're able to do another fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of like how to do, you know, something to think about. How, how, how do you think you should succeed? And maybe those are things to think about when you're picking schools. And then, of course, should you go along with it? But these are kind of more broadly that... So another area of questions to ask is for social interactions, you know, if I am meeting the daimyo or meeting my enemy or meeting everything that, uh, how do I want to have my character interact with these NPCs? So this isn't just an intrigue, but the way you would play, like role play out an intrigue would go into then what techniques you use for that intrigue, what rings you use for that intrigue. Does that make sense? It's like, absolutely. when I am interacting with NPCs, is my preference to troll them, to make them mad or to make them in an emotional state of some sort? You know, I want to, I want to, troll them is the great best word for it though. I want to troll the NPCs. That's my first thought, right? Or do I want everyone we meet to like me? Hmm. One's more of yeah. a fiery approach. One's more of a water approach. Yeah. But it goes beyond that into schools and all kinds of you know techniques and stuff. It's like something to think about. It's like, am I you know do I want to troll the NPCs or do I want everybody to like me? And and it can even go down to what clan you want to be because some clans they like some clans fit more on that axis on one end or the other. And so right from the start, you might want to be from a clan that everyone assumes is friendly because you want to be friendly with everybody. Another possible axis that you might be thinking about when you are interacting with other folks, are you caring more about protecting yourself and your friends or are you more concerned about reaching your goal? 
And that's a kind of maybe earth compared to fire kind of axis. That's a possibility you might think of in, in those terms. So again, this is going to influence what kind of techniques do you want? What kind of rings do you want? And, and so forth. And the clans you pick. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So am I going to be a more supporting role kind of person or a, you know, a defensive versus offensive um, socially? Yeah, that's and so that's a question you need to put yourself an axis you want to think about. Very related to this with social interactions, many intrigues have individual goals. So I'm I going to prioritize my own personal goal over what might be the priority of the group, too. Does that make sense? So it, you know, because some people don't don't prioritize the group, and some groups everybody prioritizes groups. Uh, and that's, they're not, I'm not saying one way or the other is a bad way to play. They're both, they're just, they're just different. And they go into how you build and run your character. And yes. you should have decided that while you're doing this. I'd, I'd like, yeah, have at least, have at least a thought of it. And I'd like the final one is, are you the sort of person who wants to have all your pieces set out ahead of time? So you know what's going to be happening. You have as much control as you possibly can over the situation. Or are you more the sort of person who will just wing it? Or is it just adaptable to whatever happens? Yes. Roll what comes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, those are a couple. That's another kind of gradient you want to think about. Where do you most want to be when you play? And different techniques. There's a lot of techniques that are group supporting. There are a lot of group techniques that are individual supporting. Uh if you don't want to end up never being able to support the group because you're always on the lead because everybody's tr- anyway there's there's a lot in your path forward that depends on these questions um that you know if you never get any time to do your investigations or analysis ahead of time then it's really hard to uh, be a, a mastermind, but when you do, then you know, I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, yes, okay, absolutely. Our final set of questions is for adventuring, and by adventuring, I mean not in a combat, not in interacting with people, but more like journeying, you know, or, or in the city doing broad general things. This is kind of the general, like, like. What you do in, in a, a combat or an intrigue, that's that's like moment to moment. How are you planning to, you know, what techniques you're choosing, what dice you're rolling? And I think for these, for, you know, for adventuring, this is the overarching approach. You know, how do you, and, and like you say, specifically, all, all the stuff that's not specifically fighting or, or, or intriguing. And, and, and social interactions in general. This is not social interactions in general, mostly. So mm. the question is, the first one we have as a question is, do I want to have a very wide skill set available so I can do a lot of different things to the circumstances? Or do I want to specialize and let other people, you know, do those things and I'm okay with standing out and being bad at these things because I'm really good at this specific stuff? This this one specific thing, I'm just the best but I really shouldn't be allowed to dress myself. <laughs> that <guy>. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, because those are two very different approaches and they, 
they play very differently and you can have a lot of fun mm-hmm. with either of those approaches. So that's the thing you kind of want to think about. Yeah. Uh, a similar one is, do you want to focus more on helping your friends do things and helping you supporting, or do you want to focus on being good at what you do and doing it yourself all the time? That's it. Right. Because assist is very powerful in this game, right? When your GM allows assist, which yeah, adventuring it, it really rules, is. many of them are able to have assist. So being able to say, I've got all of these different skills and I can assist you with your whatever, with a with a full capped skill dice. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. It is. It is absolutely awesome. And like even if they're the super bestest at what they do, they're never going to turn down a capped skill dice. So it um it kind of plays into the um you know, how you play it, do I assist a lot? It pays into the techniques you get, you get all sorts of things for for much broader things than just um you know, what skills I pick because I, I want to be good at everything. Uh, it, it might make you broader than you would otherwise be, but it also changes kind of the, the angle of play. And then the last one of this is, do I want to be actually, not just skill-wise, but actually physically going off on my own and doing things by myself? Mm without my group at all or do I, will I always be with my friends be with my adventuring party for example uh, a sh- you know we've talked about this somewhat before but being a shinobi often means i have to go do the sneaky sneaky thing by myself away from everybody else and that means i don't get to ask them what to decide when a crucial decision moment comes and that's the biggest one i found is that if you are not good at, if if you don't want to be deciding by yourself, things, you, you probably don't want to be someone who goes off on your own and have to make a lot of creative or um, decisive choices that might go back later to harm the group. You could decide wrong. <laughs> yes, there are times when you, you, you do sometimes want to share the responsibility and you know, should should we you know should we reveal this secret? And it's much easier if the group can go. Yeah, we well, you know, they decide, and you you can you put in your t- your your two cents, and then you decide. But if you're the one and you've got to make the decision right now, and there's no one around to help you, and the consequences either way could be really bad. <laughs> yeah, so, it's all on you now. So. Yeah, so you have to you have to kind of decide that, and then you would make your character according. You, you maybe wouldn't make the shinobi the same way. You if you that way, you can still be sneaky, but yeah. maybe you wouldn't be that kind of sneaky. Anyway, that's it. I hope that this was a very good uh, time to you know way to think about these uh, books as you go through them. I hope it was useful. And and I think honestly, this is useful for pretty much any role playing game. These basic ideas, they're not, you know. Although although we keep tying them back to specific Legend of the Five Rings mechanics, like the, the techniques and schools and rings, I think this is actually a good thing to think about. Whatever role playing game you're playing. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, um, 
If you enjoyed our content, we have a Patreon. Um, but we did want to give a call out to Fortune and Strife. That's our affiliated actual play podcast that are busy doing very exciting things in uh, the city of Alzawira uh, for the moment. And also we want to give a call out to our friends at D20 Radio. All this content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon that supports our editing costs, our hosting site costs for our website. And you can see some longer information, summaries of our podcasts, our links, RPG tools, and more. So we're trying to get a um, more stable website in the future. So our editor, website host, mm. you know, Seabass is working hard on on that. Yeah, yeah. And for our patrons, we've got special bonus content. We've got Adventure Seeds. We've got early access to Fortune and Strife. And there will be other, as, as the dust clears from our construction on our website, we will <laughs> try and add more things. Online, you can find us at our website at courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And if you do want to support us and what we do, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash court games. But that is it for us this week. This is Kakita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korvar, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.